It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome to episode 11 of the Atop the Pitbox podcast. I'm Zach Dick along with my host, Josh Rolfes, and we're going to talk New Hampshire, break in with some free agency and some NASCAR news. And then look ahead to this weekend's race at Pocono. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, Zach. How are you? You look you look better. I I feel like a million bucks compared to last week. So I'm in things, a things have a improved. less a less ideal situation. We both kind of came back down to reality, uh, you know, normalcy. I'm back in Nebraska, which is not where I'd rather be. I'd rather be on the lake, but you got to do what you got to do. Got to do what you got to do. No, it's it's good to be back. And again. Feel feel like a new man, so this is great. Uh, before we go any further, just want to say first, thank you for listening, and we appreciate the time that you uh, spend with us each week, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified when new episodes drop. We will be at the West Side in Harlan, Iowa on November 6th for our, our final watch party. We'll watch the uh, last race of the year there. Will be a very good time, so make sure that you're joining us there. And then also, just don't forget about that Discord and uh, jump on that and check it out. So, with that being said, Zach, we got some semi-breaking NASCAR news, right? Broke today at two thirty. So NASCAR put out a press release. They were going to do an announcement in Chicago, of all places, at two thirty this afternoon. And what they did is they came out and and announced that they are going to replace. The Road America race next year, so Road America is no more, and they are going to turn downtown Chicago into a street road course. So this is something brand new for NASCAR. It's great news for the city of Chicago, and next year, I believe they announced it's going to be July 2nd of next year, they are going to be racing in downtown Chicago. Fourth of July weekend? Fourth Fourth of July July weekend. weekend in Chicago? So this is has this ever happened where they've raced on the streets of a of a city like this? So I've been a NASCAR fan, man, say 15, 20, 20-ish years, whatever it is, and I do not recall them ever racing a street road course, essentially. I don't know if this is the first time they've ever done it or if they've done it in the past and, and kind of went away with it, but I think what they're doing is they're trying to compete with Formula One because Formula One's going to Vegas next year. Well, and they do and a lot trying... of these types of courses, right? Like they're yeah, this most is, tracks this is... are all roads and in, in cities. Yeah, this is very very similar to what F1 does on on a, a regular basis. So a lot of people are saying, you know, NASCAR is trying to compete with Formula One. They're trying to get the younger viewership. Makes perfect sense to me. You know, NASCAR's median age is pretty up there. Um, so they're trying to reach out to the younger clientele. So what a, what a great way to give this a shot. If it works awesome. If it doesn't, at least they tried it. I was just in Chicago two weeks ago and I legit walked pretty much most of the course based on what the map showed online. And it's going to be pretty wild. I mean, it is really, it, it is right downtown Chicago, right on Lakeshore drive. And I saw a funny tweet. There's going to be a corner. They're going to be heading toward the lake, and then they've got to make a right-hand turn. And, and a lot of the or the, the tweet basically said, you know, don't put any barricades there. Let it, if they mess up, let them go in the lake. So that'd be something new. There's, 
there's a lot of excitement for it. And, and it was, again, it broke, broke today at two 30. So uh, we have that to look forward to next year. And then, and then, like I said, road America is no more. So it's unfortunate was for a, the Wisconsin. Was, but yeah. I mean, that was a, a pretty boring race, right? Like that yep. was pretty regarded as a, as a not entertaining. And, and we get out of Wisconsin, which is, which is great. Um, Let's get to Chicago, so, baby. That's the best so sports city in all, I, in all the world. Could, they could just demolish Soldier Field and just turn that into a racetrack, and I would be, I'd be okay with that. Well, and I'd be fine with that too. In about five years, when when the Bears build their state of the art facility up in Arlington Heights, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was breaking news. And then um, let's just jump right into free agency news. So before the race this past weekend, uh, it was announced that Ty Dillon is out at Petty GMS, the number forty-two. He is no more. Uh, with that organization, there's a lot of rumors in the background right now saying that Noah Gregson, who currently drives for Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series, will be taking that ride. And him and Ty Dillon have somewhat similar sponsorships. They've got Bass Pro, they've got Black Rifle Coffee. So it seems like a pretty natural fit, and it's a Chevy. So um, look for that to happen or be announced probably here in the next couple weeks. So when you, you think about who's left free agency-wise, the Christopher Bell, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones, Kyle Busch, those are the four guys that I can think of off the top of my head that are still free agents for next year. Um, Joe Gibbs came out, said he couldn't believe that Kyle Busch still hadn't been signed yet. So I saw it seems that. like there's a lot of talk, uh, ha- you know, a lot of talks happening behind the scenes with Kyle Busch and, and Joe Gibbs racing, but... The longer this thing drags out, the more and more I think that there's probably a pretty good chance he goes elsewhere for next year, which would be pretty crazy. Uh, you just don't see drivers of that caliber. You know, you personality aside, you don't see drivers of that caliber leave organizations too often, especially when they have a couple of championships under their belt. So, um, so I want to. I actually want to talk to you about Kyle Busch here, and I got I got a, a couple questions that are just. Co- things to throw out here so as a newer nascar fan i look at kyle bush and and the situation that he's in and being this far into the season my thought is he's not coming back like if they wanted him they would have figured this out but as i've kind of learned here it's it's really all about sponsorships and when i saw the the video with joe gibbs and he came out and said you know i don't know why this is i'm like this guy is this is his team like if, if this is what he wants, then it's done. Like I, that's how it should work to me. And, and I, I quickly am learning that, that it really is all about sponsors and, and it's the way that NASCAR is set up from a business model is a lot different than, than other leagues where they don't have the revenue sharing that maybe the NFL does. So I know that Hamlin has come out and talked a little bit about some of the changes that he'd like to see in in sponsorships and 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 you know being able to bring new cars into the field. Um, what can you kind of walk us through those details of what is going on here? Yeah, so so this is a a hot topic in NASCAR because their media rights are up. It's they're either up at the end of this year or they're up at the end of next year. So they're I think it's next active- year. Okay, so they're actively negotiating the next contract with the media broadcasting networks. And so to kind of level set this, these NASCAR teams historically 
and still today rely on sponsorship dollars to put race cars on the track. I'm sure they there's still a lot of profit in the NASCAR business model, but a lot of these teams re- have to rely on sponsorship dollars 100% to field these teams. I think an Which average, is crazy. Yeah, exactly. I think an average cost for a team before this next gen car was roughly 20 to 30 million bucks a year is what it would cost a NASCAR team to race for the full 36 races. Wow. And the reason why this is such a hot topic is if you think about the other sports, so you think about football, you think about the NBA, you think about major league baseball, they, the teams of course generate their own revenues with, with merchandise and tickets and all that fun stuff. But they get a slice of the overall pie, and that pie comes from the broadcasting money that they receive. I mean, you're talking billions of dollars, and they divvy it out to the teams, and that's what differentiates those sports with NASCAR, whereas NASCAR teams rely solely on sponsorship dollars to field their teams, pay their drivers, you know, make everything happen, and put the car on the track. And so twofold here, NASCAR created or or brought the next gen car to hope and their goal was to reduce cost they're trying to make nascar more affordable for these teams so that they have to rely you know on less sponsorship dollars to put their car on the track do i think it's worked and based on everything that i've heard from denny hamlin justin marks yes it's worked the costs are higher than what they thought they were going to be just because of the supply shortages and and higher costs in regards to you know getting the getting the parts they need, but from an overall standpoint, costs have been driven down with this next-gen car, which is great. So that's point one. But point two is they're still relying on sponsorship dollars to put these cars on the track. And what Denny Hamlin and Justin Marks want, as well as Dale Jr., is they want the teams to get more of the pie when this next meteorites contract is negotiated. But from the sounds of it, it sounds extremely complicated. There's, I guess, numerous contracts that are out there that still are active, and it sounds like a really long process. But Denny Hamlin and Justin Mark's argument is, is these teams shouldn't have to rely on sponsorships to put a car on the track, to, to which then generates revenue for NASCAR, which then the team's all they get is is the race winnings or the purse for that that week, and that's all they get from NASCAR. It seems like a really bad business model. So, what are your thoughts on that? Kind of a deep dive in, into how NASCAR, you know, divvies up the money. It's pretty wild that we've had multiple strikes in NHL. Major League Baseball has been on strike. It feels like this is a prime place for NASCAR drivers to to just be like. I'm not doing this. You know what I mean? Like there's only so many really good race car drivers. If these teams don't field a, a a team and a car, I don't know. I I think that there's a possibility that they hold all the leverage here and they should be able to work out a situation where if I'm the team owner and I want to sign a driver, I shouldn't have to wait to make sure that I can find some other companies that want to sponsor me. I, I the sponsorship piece is I never really thought about it until until this came up with with Kyle Bush and I was having conversations with people about you know I couldn't understand why it just wasn't done and the 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 
the sponsorship and and the fact that they do not have a deal like the like the NFL or MLB or NHL. I mean, even NHL is the probably third or fourth most popular sport, and they have a, an agreement that you know yeah. benefits the team. So it's it's kind of wild, and I I like to see. I know you're not a fan of Denny Hamlin, but he he's very vocal about this, and 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 he articulates it in a a very uh very easy to read way for for everybody to to kind of just break it down and say this is what what the situation is yeah no so i'm not a fan of denny hamlin the the race car driver but from a from a business standpoint he is really really smart and knows what he's doing same with justin marks i mean these guys know what they're doing and so hamlin was on dale jr's podcast dale jr downloaded and he basically said you know they bought a chunk of ground 2311 racing bought a chunk of ground to build a new race shop but that is on hold until they know how the next media rights deal is going to be, you know, what, what that consists of. And if these NASCAR teams are going to get any, any chunk of the pie, because if they're not going to divvy out the money more, these teams, it's, it sounds like these teams are, are lucky to break even in a given year based on how the business model is set up today. And then you have Dale Jr. Dale Jr. wants, he, he, he has race teams in the Xfinity Series, and he wants to move to NASCAR. He wants to jump He's off. He's dying to get up there. He, he wants to play with the big boys. And Why you think he? about Dale Jr., the name Dale Jr. I mean, that guy has the largest following in NASCAR still to this day. And he isn't putting a team in NASCAR or, or fielding a team to this point because he wants to see how this media rights contract has broke out. So that is how big a deal this, this truly is. So when well, it's about, it comes down to charters, right? And, and that's another yep. weird thing that, that NASCAR has where you, you have to spend all this money just to get the spot in, in NASCAR. So I would, I don't know if they can, if they'll ever change it to where, you know, you get the charters are, you know, cheaper so that more teams can do it. Um, I don't know. It's something that I, I think could be interesting, and I don't know if the, how of a real of a possibility this is, but, uh, you know, lowering the charter enough that more than 40 teams can, can feel the car, and then you have qualifying, and you actually get to qualify for the race and not, you know, just automatically be in the field. You'd have to actually go there and, and be one of the best 40 cars. Still think you'd get the, the majority of the same teams, but if there was enough competition, I think that could, you know, further enhance the weekend and, and have an extra day of, you know, tuning in to NASCAR and see which teams are actually going to make the race. Yeah, so as it currently stands today, NASCAR has a total number of 36 charters, and, and all of them are taken. And so... Dale Jr. and Hamlin talk about this is say NASCAR increases the number of charters, you know, they create two, three, four out of thin air and say, yep, we'll sell them to Dale Jr. We'll sell two charters to Dale Jr. for X amount of dollars. Well, Denny Hamlin and and to his defense, when he bought the first charter to get Bubba Wallace on the, on the team, it was, it was uh, dirt cheap. It was like 4 million bucks. And to get a second charter, they had to pay $13.5 million. So the demand, and there's not, you look at how it's all structured and you look at the teams that are in it, there's probably, there's only one more guy that probably can afford to get in and has the backing to get in, and that's Dale Jr. So what what sets that price? What sets the price of the charters? And that's what I was just going to say. 
okay. The, the, the charter is typically determined by market. It, it's just market driven. What are you willing to pay me for this charter? Because there is 36 charters and you have to have a charter to race. Well, if they were to expand it to 38, 39, 40, what is that cost? Because you have one guy, Dale Jr., who wants to come in. You have NASCAR that's going to create these charters out of thin air. What cost is that going to be? And in, and to Hamlin's defense and Justin Mark's defense, they just spent a crazy amount of money to, to buy charters. And if they sell a charter to Dale Jr. for half the price, they feel like they should be compensated to a certain extent to then make their charters basically equal dollar-wise to what a new team that's joining NASCAR would pay. So it's a really complicated system. I understand why they did it because they wanted to have 36 competitive cars on the track, whereas before you had 43 entries every week. But tick, you know, there was six to eight cars that were just start and park. They'd start the race, they'd park the car, and there would truly only be about 30 to 35-ish teams that were competitive and, and could actually you know, put a good product on the track. So that's why they created this charter system. But with the, the next-gen car creating some some level playing fieldness from from that standpoint and couple that with a lower cost of entry into nascar couldn't it be argued that you'd see a lot more teams that you know maybe would be outside the box thinking or you know maybe not a traditional team but would give them a chance to to actually compete with the big boys so I would say yes to that. But then again, the teams have to rely on sponsorship dollars to put a car on the track. That's got to so get if, fixed. Yeah, exactly. So That's if that gets fixed. fixed and now these teams get a, a slice of the pie from NASCAR's media rights and, and broadcasting rights with these networks, then yeah, I think some guy or some team wanting to join NASCAR becomes a lot more attractive than what it is today because it is truly a business model today. And these teams from the sounds of it are lucky to break even. So the next gen car, yes, has brought costs down. If NASCAR creates a couple more charters and makes them decently affordable. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot more interest other than Dale jr. But if these teams still have to rely on sponsorship dollars, there's a lot of teams that say, I don't want no, I, I want no part of that because there's been plenty of teams that have been in NASCAR over the last 10 years and they've gone out of business for a reason. And that's because it's just costs way too much money to field teams in NASCAR right now. So kind of an interesting topic, you know, you can kind of tie it in with free agency and, and how that all plays out. But I guess the story of the day is it's, it's still pretty wild that Kyle Busch does not have a ride next year at this point in time. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have a very special guest on the podcast tonight. Earlier today, Zach and I taped a interview with Taylor Schleiss. Um, let's go to that right now. All right, so tonight we are joined by a very special guest, uh, someone we have been trying to get on the podcast for many weeks. The scheduling just didn't work out. Uh, we welcome to the podcast Taylor Schleiss. How are you doing tonight, man? Good. How are you doing? Good. Did I, is that how you say your last name is Schleiss? Slice, yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. So as we get into this, I just my first question, I don't know if you've listened to the previous episodes these last couple of weeks, but there is uh, something that's going around called the Podcast Jinx here, and I wanted to see if you were any part of you was concerned about the Podcast Jinx. 
Uh, I have not heard that part of it. I've listened to them here and there, but maybe I should have delayed it a few more weeks before I came on. Yeah, so I, I got to be honest. We're, there's a lot of people that are happy that we're going to put this theory to the test and, and get you on the podcast. So uh, thank you for joining, and we'll see if the, the podcast jinx is an actual real thing. So Hopefully not. <laughs> so tell me, how does it feel to be in first place all these weeks and in your first year in the league, how's that? What's that feel like? Oh, it's pretty surprising. I, I honestly got in the league not knowing what to expect, and heck, I didn't know how many or who was in it. And that first email I got and said a hundred entry. We hit a hundred entries, and I'm like, holy cow! What did I get into? <laughs> but here we are. It's working out for me. Yeah. So. You and I uh, have had the same team to start the year, and you made a swap really early in the in the season where you swapped Chastain for for Tyler Reddick. So as as somebody that I mean that that move is paying off. Uh, what was the thought process behind behind that move? Uh, I'm not even really sure. I just thought I needed to make a move, and I didn't want. I knew I was up there somewhat in the standings and I knew I had the same roster as one team. And I was like, I need to do something. Yeah. So that was, we were in like second place or maybe third place when, when we made that switch. So when I was looking at my team, I wasn't even thinking about a switch and I'm like, this guy just swapped out Ross Chastain. I'm like, this is, this is great. Um, and then I started thinking like, man, maybe I should have done that. <laughs> so, and at, at that point it was too late and I just had to roll with Reddick. But, uh, it's been, I, I've, I've kind of looked at, at your team as, as what my team could have been if I would have made that swap. Uh, so it's, it, it's a little frustrating to see you dominating the standings every week, but it is, uh, it's a pretty good, pretty cool story. First year in the league and, and leading, for many, many weeks now. Tell us your, your NASCAR story. How did you get into being a NASCAR fan? How long you been and, and what kind of led you to get into the league? Um, I got into NASCAR probably around high school or so, about 20 years or so. And I was a big Jeff Gordon fan, followed Jeff Gordon. And then he, when he retired, I kind of quit watching NASCAR. I kind of got away from it and I, Saw something about this league on Facebook. Uh, I think it was Brian Martin shared something on his Facebook, sure. and I said something to the wife. I should do something like this to try getting back into back into NASCAR and watching it. And she said, "Do it." And I'm like, "All right, we'll give her a try." And it's actually I've been paying attention more, and it's gotten me back into NASCAR. Got my little five year old into it a little bit, and. It's kind of been fun getting back into it. So did so? Do you have favorite drivers then? Uh, I I love the Hendrick cars. I like Chase Elliott probably the most. Okay, I like that. Um, Hendricks, I've always liked Hendricks ever since Jeff Gordon and them, and I've just kind of stayed with them. And so I'm assuming the five year old follows along. Yeah, he at first he was just going for whoever's in first place, but <laughs> that's a great strategy. <laughs> now he kind of sticks with the five car, which is definitely not a bad pick for not knowing what he's doing. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a that's a good uh, good driver to pick if you're just gonna you know pick a random car. So yeah, that's, 
that's for sure. That's pretty cool. So, do you have like a a favorite NASCAR memory? Maybe a good get a race uh, that you went to or something. I've been down to Kansas once. Okay, it was a pretty good time. I, me personally, I like just watching more on TV. But Kansas is kind of one of the more boring tracks. I would sometime I would like to go to Bristol and I'd like to go to Talladega. I think those would be fun ones to go try seeing. Are those Talladega the- just for the? Just for the track it being in Bristol, I think would be cool. So, are is are those the top two that you would, if you had to rank them one and two for where you'd want to go? Those are those are the top two. That I mean, you got to throw Daytona in there just for the <laughs> the five hundred experience. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think Daytona is probably the top of my list. Uh, I've done Kansas last year, which was pretty cool. It was my first race. And then, uh, we're doing Bristol this year. So the night race in September. So that's, we're counting down the days for that, to that race. So I'll get to check that off and then, uh, just have Daytona left. So one, uh, final question that we ask is if you were the commissioner of the league for the, for one day, what change would you make? What would you, is there anything that you would do, uh, to, either improve the league or make it chaos or, or anything you, you can change one thing in the league. What would you do? I mean, I'm in first place. I'm not changing anything <laughs> right now. That's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty uh, fair. Being, being my first year, I think it's ran pretty good. I, I don't have any complaints or too many opinions right now. I, it, it might be nice being able to change maybe more than one driver, but it's, a totally fair thing too so i'm all for it no that's a that we've we've looked at doing more more than one swap but we've kind of limited it at the one for now but that's a that's a good idea something that we can you know maybe look for you know down the road so any questions for us not that i can think of it's fun it's a cool little thing and it's nothing that breaks the bank to get into right yeah i'll help spread the word next year for sure Especially if you win, it'll be a walking billboard. It's easy, it's, it's easy money, guys. It's easy money. Because <laughs> Justin said, if, if you win the regular season, it's fifty dollars or something like that. Yep. And yeah, and we said, we also if you win that, just put that back for next year's. Well, and we also split the low score, so I can't even get the low score. You gotta <laughs> you gotta get in on that on me too, so I'll get my twelve fifty <laughs> at the end of the year. <sighs> it's, it's annoying. Sucks. All right. Well, maybe I, maybe I can hit the low score, with Chastain. Ah, oh, I hope Chastain blows a tire the first lap and ends in last place. <laughs> I, I tell you what, he 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 definitely makes me worried as crazy as he's been. But it's going to come down get some revenge. You're going to be in the finals, and uh, Hamlin Hamlin's is going to take, take him out. out. Reddick's going to win it, and uh, your boy's going <laughs> to win the championship. That that's my prediction. <laughs> That'd be, That'd awesome. be not cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Taylor, for doing it. Appreciate it. See, see you guys. All right. Enjoy. All right. So let's talk about New Hampshire, Zach. So what uh, what do you think of of the of the race this week? So overall, I thought it was a good race. I mean, it wasn't a wow or a fantastic race, in my opinion. It was just a good race. New Hampshire's it's a flat track. It's really hard to pass. And they didn't put any more PJ1 or resin down on the top lane so you could have two lanes, um, you know, competing back and forth to race. You know, there was passing, but from an overall standpoint, New Hampshire typically is a pretty boring race. And, you know, there was some exciting parts here and there. 
Um, but overall, again, it was just a really hard place to pass. So from an entertainment standpoint, I didn't think it was the greatest race ever, but it definitely, you know, produced some good results, good entertainment. So overall, it was a good race. What are, what are your thoughts? I thought it was good. I uh, I know that New Hampshire typically is not a a favorite uh, track, but there were some some interesting storylines that happened over throughout the race, and we got a new winner. So we got number fourteen of the year. So it, overall, I think it was a, a it was entertaining. I found myself uh, entertained by the race, so it was it was pretty good. Yeah, no, I I feel pretty similar uh, to what you just said there, and Jeff Gluck's poll. 82.7% of fans said, yes, it was a good race. So wow. uh, basically, if, if, if the poll from what I've seen is, is 80% or higher, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good result. So granted, this poll was the fourth or the lowest poll over the last four years. Because if you remember last week, his, his poll system kind of got hacked. Hmm. A company decided yeah, how, to buy a, a bunch is of this no compromise votes. now. Are we are we so uh, a bunch of yes votes this week? No. So what he did is he created a Google form. So it's really tedious for him to keep track of this, and it's kind of a pain to actually submit your vote. So you've got to click a link, and then it takes you to this form, confirms that you're you're not a bot. You hit yes or no, and he tallies it up that way. So I think the poll was low. Oh, we can't have nice that. things, man. It's it's crazy. It, I, I just can't understand why a corporation or somebody would want to try to buy no votes. Granted, <laughs> I was part of a part of the problem because I hate Atlanta. Yeah, but, but you get one vote. You get a vote. That's fine. Exactly. Exactly. I, I would get buy 8, votes for that. So anyway, the actual number was twenty thousand. There was twenty thousand votes within like a span of like twenty minutes or some crazy amount of time. So nonetheless. Jeff's, Jeff Gluck's poll, it's in, it's in a new format. He's pretty confident. There's It's not compromised. 82.7% of fans said yes. Again, anything over 80%, you know, typically the, the kind of the standard or, the, or the, the, yeah, the gold standard in regards to how you, how you measure that poll. So overall, pretty solid race. Let's jump in. Uh, what happened in stage one? So we're going to do something a little different this week with our recap and and kind of do a little more high level stuff instead of getting into, you know, each, each event that happened throughout the race. So love to hear feedback. If it's something that you guys like the details, or if this is works out a little bit better, uh, but we're going to try it out. So, uh, the results were stage one and stage two were all Martin Truex. Uh, he was out, out front for most of those, uh, most of those laps, which got him the most laps led. So he, he did get those extra bonus points, but the uh, the storyline here is is the winner. Christopher Bell passes Chase Elliott and then cruises to victory and becomes the 14th winner of the year. And we are getting close to that uh, that magic number, Zach. Something that you didn't think was possible <laughs> or was going to happen, man. And and this is this is the craziest NASCAR year that I can ever recall. So. Looking at the race, you know, stage one, stage two, Truex had a dominant car. He was fast. He was out front most of it. You know, he did get, you know, pushed back there, you know, second or third place and was able to rebound and get back to the front. And then that last last, last pit strategy or pit stop, a lot of teams chose four tires. Christopher Bell was one of them. Chase Elliott yep. was another. And then you have Kevin Harvick and Truex who were two of the fastest cars all day, decided to go with two right side tires 
and that did not work out well for them at all. So Christopher Bell, four tires, went on to win the race and creates your 14th winner of the season. So really weird to, or really interesting to see the the tire situation play out in this race and the the two tire strategy that some of those teams took on what was what were they trying to achieve there versus the teams that I mean it was pretty clear that the tire wear was an issue and and so what would they see or what was the thought process do you think to get them to make that decision to take two tires so track position as you saw in New Hampshire was was king you, you needed to be out front or, you know, in second place to have any shot to win that race because of how hard it is to pass there. So the only thing I can think of is the, the two crew chiefs said, yes, I want to keep my guys out front. We need the track position. We need the clean air. It's hard to pass. There's only 20 or 25 laps to go. Two tires shouldn't make or break you at New Hampshire. And, and historically in the past, it hasn't. So that's that's what was crazy about New Hampshire this year is tires really made that much of a difference and again enabled Chase Elliott and Christopher Bell to be the two guys battling at the end of the race rather than Kevin Harvick or, or Truex there. And granted, they all finished in the top five, but um, it obviously swung things Christopher Bell's way and unfortunately negatively impacts Martin Truex Jr. So their teammates, yeah, it's fun to see you know your teammates win. But in this case, he is the absolute last guy Martin Truex wanted to see win with with how the standings are shaping up at this time. So how does typically don't those teams communicate that strategy? It's it's, it's kind of odd to see two different cars in the same team make such a different strategy or, or, or make such a different decision at that point in the race, isn't it? So the teams they do they do work in and you know have a partnership type agreement during practice and qualifying you know what works for you what doesn't work for you and they have notes that they go off of throughout the race but at that point in time they're not communicating with the other team saying hey we're going to do four here hey we're going to do two that that just doesn't happen especially when the race is on the line so yeah there's a ton of collaboration between these these teams and and crew chiefs and all that but that kind of goes out the window especially with you know they're only being 20 or 25 laps to go so i wasn't I surprised. bet true x that i bet true x wishes that his uh crew chief was talking to bell uh well i think he just wishes his crew chief would have taken four <laughs> tires just take the safe route yeah you might be you know come out second third fourth but tires just made such an advantage and were that important with you know 20 or 25 laps to go so looking back Obviously, Truex crew chief James Small wishes he would have did things differently, but um, it just puts more pressure on that team here over the next six weeks to try to get a win because as of right now, there's with 14 winners, you've got two guys on the cut line with no wins, and that's Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex. Truex is in 16th place crazy. currently. And the, and the craziest thing about this, and I, and I still can't wrap my head around this, is Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex – are top four in points right now. From it's an insane. overall point standpoint, they are in top four in points. And so there should be, this should not even be a discussion about them missing the playoffs. But unfortunately, based on how crazy this year has been and the number of different winners, there is a reasonable chance that one of those two drivers doesn't make the playoffs come playoff time, which is just mind blowing. These last six races are going to be wild. I, I It's going to be. NASCAR couldn't have wished 
for a better or Nesquik couldn't have hoped for a better way the season would have gone because this is this is perfect for them. Agreed. Yeah, and and actually there's a lot of chatter right now out on social media that NASCAR never anticipated something like this happening. They never <laughs> anticipated. They well, I mean cuz you look back in this you look back in the last 3 or 4 seasons when they went to stage racing and went and get in and there's been 12 13 winners, four, maybe even 14 winners for the entire season, including the playoffs. Not before you get to the playoffs. So, of course, they, they envision this playoff format having the drivers drive harder, more entertainment for the fans, obviously more eyes on the TV sets equal bigger dollars for media rights and all that fun stuff. But I truly don't think they ever thought it was truly possible that there would be six, over 16 winners in 26 races, which then enables you know two drivers or maybe one driver in the top five in points to miss the playoffs, which is just absolutely crazy. So, and Denny if, Hamlin, if he would, if he didn't have his second win, he's I think out of the playoffs. Like I think he would. He is yep. so down in points that he wouldn't make it if sixteen winners win. So, it's it's a crazy, crazy thing. I love to see it. Uh, and Christopher Bell gets his first win of the year, and. Some other things with that happened in this race that was kind of interesting was the the weird battle between Brad Keselowski and Austin Dillon. So it was a caution, and Dillon went up the the track and bumped Keselowski, and Keselowski just made a left turn right into him and like completely destroyed his own car. And they asked the crew chiefs. Kushi's are like, yeah, we don't know what's going on here. And I mean, did they ever come up with, did they ever figure out what the, the issue was? Yeah. So they interviewed both drivers after the race and, and basically Austin Dillon said he lost his cool under caution. He was having, you know, he's struggling. He's on the outside looking in and come playoff time at this point, lost his cool, decided to, to basically door Brad Keselowski because he doesn't like how he's <laughs> drove him in the past. And if you rewind it was either last year or two years ago brad k wrecked austin dylan and actually it was a really hard hit so dylan has not forgot about that wow and all of a sudden here at new hampshire under caution he just decided hey i'm gonna door him and just let him know that i don't like how he drives me See, and and nascar drivers have a very long memory and i know people don't think that denny hamlin is gonna do anything come playoff time but austin dylan remembered something from a year ago and I I just think it's it's these these NASCAR drivers they they remember those things that happen on the track. I don't they don't let those go. No, they've got they've got long memories and, and big memories. So it, it's just funny how it just came up this time. But like you pointed out, Brad Keselowski just went complete a wall. <laughs> he had a really fast really car. Yeah, and he had a really fast car for the first time in probably twenty weeks because Brad K has had a terrible year. Basically wrecked him, plowed into him, kind of caved in his car. You know, Brad Keselowski still went on, and I think they still have a top 10. So it didn't ruin his day per se, but it, it was pretty wild. So, you know, they interviewed the drivers after the race. Dylan said he hates how Keselowski drives. He lost his cool. Brad K basically said, I'm not going to bash him in the media and be a jerk about it. So I'll call him later. But Dylan said, I don't talk to Brad Keselowski. So we'll see if this storyline. <laughs> plays out anymore as the season goes on but that's just another 
another rivalry or or dust up per se. It it's good to get the uh, the non playoff drivers with a, a little bit of rivalry. They're they're trying to get in on the action. They're well, and, and Dylan actually said that he goes, "I had a horrendous day, but thanks for interviewing me and and giving my <laughs> sponsor Bass Pro Shop some TV time." So at least at least he admitted it. So <laughs> it, um, hey, it worked. It worked. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So it's exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you look at the race though, and to me restarts were probably the most exciting part of the race. I mean, the restarts, when they bunch the cars up, you, you're you trying to get to the bottom as fast as you can or at least clear the guy below you into turn, into turn one and two so that you can get the run off the, off the straightaway. So to me, that's a that was a storyline, and it was really important for these drivers to get a good restart so you don't get so fired I'm, back in the pack. I'm very uh, intrigued that you thought the restarts were exciting. Uh, because it it seemed like the the lead car was able to just take off on the restarts, so it, you were more excited about the the battle the the three way or the three uh, wide battling in the back of the pack. Well, so there's there's strategy that are that it's involved with these restarts. Yeah, the lead the lead driver determines when they go or when they don't. So ninety five percent of the time, the guy the guy leading the race is gonna eventually take the lead. I mean, you see some tracks where the guy, you know, in second place eventually overtakes the, the leader. But at New Hampshire, with the restarts being what they are, two wide, some spots turned into three wide. I mean, that to me was was really exciting because overall, New Hampshire is, is a decently boring race and passing is really hard. So when they got the cars bunched up and, and you know, you're two and three wide, that to me was the most exciting part of the race. But um, you know who uh, you know, who did not think the race was very exciting? I'm guessing uh, it's going to be either my pick from last week or Kyle Busch. <laughs> he spun out twice, but still finished in 11th place. So, I mean, he might not have enjoyed it, but at least he was able to, you know, say, you know, save the day and salvage a good finish and still finish 11th with probably a really, really bad car on on the radio. I would have, uh, I would have paid the the five dollars a month that NASCAR charges to hear his his audio, his car audio for that for that race. I, He's probably pretty fired up. So, um, yep. still, still a pretty good, pretty good finish for him. And uh, speaking of our picks, both of us did not pick the the winner last week. Rough My week. Pick, yeah, Kurt Busch was was leading for a little bit and was up at the top uh, of the of the the running order there for a little while, but just couldn't couldn't pull out the the victory and finished in twelfth. And Ryan Blaney kind of wasn't around the the whole race he just kind of sat in the back and you know like you said track position couldn't couldn't make that up and finished in 19th spot so we will try uh try that again this week as far as the fantasy aspect of this we had uh kind of a a little calmer week to the to the standings and and obviously we had a lot of drivers finished the race and a lot of the top drivers in the top, you know, top 10, 15. So the, the average for the team was 60 this week, which is pretty low. Um, no big crashes. It's what you would expect. We did have a low of 23 from Keeley park and a high of one Oh four for Dave Bramman. Number one, we look at the top 10. So not a lot of movement here. So when we're looking at the top 10, We've got our guest tonight, number one. He's been up there 
for many, many weeks. Had 60 points last week, which was right at the average. So no change for, for Taylor. He stays at number one. We do have a no, new number two, though. Crazy Dale, number two, up one spot with 37 points and takes over the number two spot. Flip-flops with uh, Steve Rolfus, number four, who falls one spot to number three. Did have 63 points, so one of the two teams in the top 10 to have higher than the average for points. And number five, oh, sorry, number four is Ryan Brash, number two, who's up one spot, had 49 points. And number five, Richard Rainey stays in fifth spot for the uh, second week in a row, 53 points. Down one spot to number six is Jasmine Rolfus, who had 55. No change for our seventh and eighth place. Bigger Sandwich and Dennis Musich stay at seven and eight, and they had 52 and 57 points, respectively. And number nine is Reagan Rolfus. Another Rolfus joins the, the top 10, up seven spots with 37 points. And number nine, Mark Krejci stays at number nine with 61 points. So just a slightly above the, the average there. We did have one newcomer to the top 10, which means we had one fall off. Tammy Colby fell 12 spots uh, and had a rough week, 102 points. I think that was the second highest uh, point total for any of the teams last week. So Tammy Colby falls out of the top 10. Yeah, so if you look at the risers this week, you mentioned Keeley Park, low of 23, moved from P45 to P34. Kinnick, Rolfes, a.k.a. Sandwich Attaboy. Family, went from P23 to P14. And Jill Ronfelt went from P69 to P60. You look at those teams, Chase Elliott is on two of them. Truex is on two of them. Larson's on two of them. Kyle Busch. Christopher Bell's on two. So obviously, again, not a lot of wrecks or drama in regards to just the finishing order this weekend or this past weekend at New Hampshire. So those teams all all had a good week driver-wise there. In regards to the fallers, you've got Dave Braman went from P54 to P72. Eddie Bager at Eddie B. Metz went from P57 to P71. Tammy Colby, as you mentioned, had a rough week. Went from P10 to P21. Still in the playoffs, though. Um, but getting there, you know, close to the cutoff. Austin Colby went from P31 to P42, and then Justin Norton, number one, went from P54 Aww. to P65. So he's Hate had a couple rough that. weeks there. You look at those teams. Um, a lot of Bowmans. Of course, Bowman is the one driver that, that wrecked early. Again, that trade for me is looking terrible at this point. But Bowman had a bad week. Elmarola, you know, struggled there. Uh, Kurt Busch eventually finished, uh, de- you know, far back in the pack. Um, and then yeah, a lot of Blaney's there. So uh, rough weeks for those fallers. Um, but again, no real surprises at New Hampshire in regards to the finishing order with, with the track being what it is. And Taylor Schleiss leads us again at, with for the rookies. He's in P1. And Patrick McMeekin in the playoffs at P15. David Bangert is in P23. Mark Paulson, P23. And Chris, or I'm sorry, Bush, Bush, Busher, P27. So those are your top five rookies 
as we go, uh, as we have six races left in the, the regular season. When we look at the playoffs, we've got a difference between first and 24th is 125 points, which is down from last week, 10 points. So these, these standings are getting tighter. However, Taylor's lead is now 41 points over second, and we keep waiting for him to have a bad week, and it just doesn't happen. So he's uh, continues his dominance over the over the in, dominance in the standings. When you look at the last four in, if the if the playoffs started today, would be Matt Powers, Tammy Colby, David Bangert, and Mark Paulson would be your last four in. Your first four out, another Norton. Tracy Norton, number one, Dave Bramman, number three, Bush, Bush, Busher, and Andrew Dickel, who, uh, Zach, you you have a little connection to this team. I do. I got him in the, into the league. He's one of my best friends. So um, really pulling for him. And you picked his him. team, right? So I, I helped pick his team last year. This year he picked his own team. I helped, okay. Pat, okay. I, I helped my brother-in-law, Patrick McMeekin, pick his team. So. As of right now, that team's performing well, and let's hope it stays in the playoffs. So I have some bragging rights against him. But so um, I, I, I did not realize that Patrick McMeekin was like your clan. Yeah, he's my brother-in-law. So trying, I'm trying to McMeekin, compete with the Sandwich family. There you go. I'm trying to compete with the Sandwich family, having 15 people in the top 25 right now, <laughs> which is crazy. So, <laughs> all right. So okay. So you got you got somebody in, in the playoffs, and then another one that's that's pretty close. So. We're uh, we're gonna come out swinging here the next next six races and, and make some noise. So when you look at this weekend's race, it is at Pocono Raceway in Long Pond, Pennsylvania. All right. So you you, you think about Pocono, passing is really hard. You've got three. It, it, it's a really weird layout of a track, but it's a tricky triangle, three corners, really hard to pass. You got long straightaways. Your passing needs to happen on those straightaways to position yourself for the corners because the corners are one lane on the bottom. You can't really go too wide into these corners. So with that being said, very few cautions at Pocono. So pitch strategy, fuel mileage, it's going to come into play and it's going to be pretty important. So you think about last week at New Hampshire, pitch strategy, fuel mileage came into play there at the end of the race. It's going to be the same thing this weekend. So don't be surprised if guys either stretch their fuel mileage and get a finish they shouldn't, or if you see guys run out of gas and unfortunately plummet in the standings because of it. With that being said, Zach's track facts of the night. It's my favorite part of the episode. I mentioned this earlier, but Zach's track fact number one is it's a tricky triangle racetrack. You look at the racetrack from up above, it, it is legit a triangle. As I pointed out, Three corners, all three are different. And you'll hear these drivers on the radio complain about, you know, not being good in one corner, but being good in in another. So these teams have to figure out which corner do they value more over the other corners to make sure that their car is handling right in that turn, knowing that they're going to be a little bit worse off in, say, turn three. So that's something to pay attention to this weekend. Zach's track facts number two. Hold on, before you get to, to number two, so is there any chance that these next-gen cars will allow for a second lane at, at this track, or is there anything changed that would allow that? 
I don't think so. So this is another track that they've historically used PJ1 or a resin or, or the tire machine to try to work in a second lane. I don't know if I thought they were going to do it at New Hampshire, but they decided not to this past weekend. So I don't know what NASCAR is going to do in regards to that. That would be the only way that these teams or cars can go too wide going into the corner at, at, at Pocono is if there's resin or some type of grip uh, enabler in that lane to make it happen. If not, it's going to be a one lane on the bottom side into the corners. And again, you'll go two or three wide down the straight, you know, the front stretch as well as the other straightaway. But in the corners, it's typically you, you're basically vying to get to the bottom of the racetrack. So again, we'll see if they decide to do anything there. I hope they do because it makes racing more entertaining. And in Pocono, to be honest, is a pretty boring track. There's not, again, there's not a lot of caution. So anything to dry, you know, drum up entertainment in my mind would be beneficial at this track. Zach's track facts number two. It is one of the few tracks that is not owned by NASCAR or Speedway Motorsports. So if you think back. You know, we mentioned, you know, who owns who owns the tracks and Speedway Motorsports is, is a big player and one of the biggest owners of NASCAR tracks on the circuit. But Pocono is unique in that it is privately owned. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's not owned by, you know, NASCAR or a corporation. It's privately owned. So they get to decide, you know, what they do from a fan entertainment standpoint and all that fun stuff. So that was fact number two. And your last Zach track fact tracks fact of the night Pocono is 90 miles from New York and Philly and if you think about this Pocono is the highest population density NASCAR track on the circuit today because there are 60 million people within a radius of 200 miles and NASCAR fans on average typically drive roughly 300 miles to 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 a race so if you've got 60 million fans within a 200-mile radius, it just shows you how many fans from a viewership standpoint, media broadcast, as well as actually physically can go to the track. It's the highest dense population density NASCAR track on the circuit. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I, uh, I missed out on going to Pocono when I lived in, in New York all those years. I wasn't a NASCAR fan at that point. So I, I would have definitely made my way to – to Pocono to, to see a race. So missed out yeah, on 90, that. 90 miles. I mean, that's, that's not far away at all. I mean, that's the Lincoln and back. If you think about it, that's pretty crazy. So, uh, it's pretty cool that it's close to, to those two metropolitan, you know, giant cities here in the United States. If you look at the driver facts, um, at Pocono, the most active or, or the highest finishing drivers to this point, Willie Byron leads it with 9.1. Keselowski's typically raced really good here at Pocono with an average finish of 10.6. Denny Hamlin, 11.1, and Kyle Larson, 11.4. So those are some four drivers to watch. We'll see if they can keep the trend up in regards to how they finish historically. I wanted to drum it down a little bit or dumb it down a little bit and do the last six races. The last six races, Denny Hamlin's won twice. Kyle Busch has won twice. Kevin Harvick's won once, and Alex Bowman's won, won it last year. And he his win was kind of fluky, as most of his wins are, according to Denny Hamlin. Um, 
Kyle Larson was leading, and he went into turn three and actually blew a tire. And, of course, Alex Bowman's right behind him and, and crossed the finish line and won the race. So that right there, to me, should be Kyle Larson. Fortunately, he blew a tire. Alex Bowman won the race. So I just wanted to pre- show those last six race winners. You think about it, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Joe Gibbs Racing typically races pretty good at Pocono, which may play in to the picks of the weekend. So I'm going to leave it up to you to start. Who is your pick of the race for Pocono this weekend? So we, we've we determined that we, we got a wager. We've agreed on a wager. So the, the, the loser has to shave their head, right? That is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. We asked the listeners for what they wanted, and they – spoke and said we want zach to shave his head one man spoke it's it's a co-worker of ours i'm a listener not, to the podcast i listen i will give I, I will give b-rad credit he does listen to the podcast we thank him for being an active participant but there and he is tweeted no, it he could have said it to was, us in person he tweeted it for everyone to see and there is Gives zero chance that i shave my head <laughs> with that being said we agree that the loser gets a pie in the face. So we're going to start there and we'll see. We will we'll see. We will start if, there. I mean, one of us has to get one right eventually. I'm not sure it's going to happen I, this year, but we're going to start there and see what happens. I'm I'm getting this week right. So I'm going with somebody who is on the up. He's 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 raced. He hasn't won in recently, but he's his cars are looking faster. And he's kind of got that look in his eye. He's got three wins. At intermediate tracks since 2019 in eight races with an average finish of 5.6. I'm going Kevin Harvick this week as my winner. Nice. I thought you were going to pick him last week. It didn't happen. He, nope. he, that's a solid, that's a solid pick. Solid who pick. You got, so, who, who, who's your, who's your pick? So, so I'm having an, I'm having an inner battle. I'm, I'm battling my head. <laughs> I'm battling my it, heart. Can I can't, just can't say it. <laughs> I, I can't get out of my own way, but I told you I'm not picking Blaney. Blaney is another fast guy. Typically at Pocono, he's got a, a win or two under his belt. Um, say the words, with, Zach, say the words with, with the Wood brothers, but I'm going with my heart. I think after the way last week played out, Martin Truex Jr. and the number 19 team is going to have a fire lit under them. They understand that they have to get a win in the next six races in order for them to make the playoffs. Joe Gibbs is fast historically at Pocono. I'm going with my heart. Again, it's not my head, but I'm going with my boy Martin Truex Jr. I really hope he pulls this one off because there's no reason he should miss the playoffs with how how good he's been this year. So, all that being said, how close, how much thought did you put into picking Hamlin this week? Zero thought for Denny Hamlin. Zero? I thought that's where you were going. I thought you were debating whether to pick Denny Hamlin or not. No, I was at my my debate was Kyle Busch or Martin Truex Jr. Oh, so you're a homer and you had to, you couldn't choose between your two terrible drivers. My two guys, well, again, Kyle Busch has raced really well at Pocono and has two wins in the last six races there. And again, that so was Hamlin. my head choice. My head choice, Kyle Busch. My heart, Martin Truex Jr. I went with my heart just because of how last week played out. He had the fastest car. He should have won New Hampshire. It didn't happen. 
I'm praying that he gets a win this weekend. I don't know how you expect us to get a rowdy sponsorship if you won't pick Kyle Bush to win. I'm still working on it. It's to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get sponsorship by, by Bass Pro Shops or Reezer's Potato Salad. You know, I'll, I'll take what I can get right now. That's true. That's true. We're we're working for sponsors too, so <laughs> we're, yeah. we're feeling the we're feeling the We got to put a good product on the uh, you know on the podcast, and we need some sponsorship dollars to keep <laughs> right. this to happen. So, Joe Gibbs, <laughs> I, we feel your pain. Yeah, basically Joe Gibbs right now. So it's uh, <laughs> I, I, it's the same. It's the same thing. So, all right. So we've got our picks. We got. Uh, look forward to, or look forward to uh, the race at Pocono, and hopefully we get to see a second line there in the corners and make this a real interesting race. Uh, but otherwise, still still looking forward to see what happens and and how it impacts our final six weeks of the regular season. And do we get to sixteen winners? I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest question mark right now, and and why most people are going to tune in and, and check it out. So. We're gonna see. Zach, we're gonna see if the year of chaos continues with a new winner at Pocono. I really think there's a really good shot of Harvick, Blaney, Truex winning. So I think it's gonna happen, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, both of our picks fall into that chaos category. So it's uh, we we both are fully bought in. So good stuff. 100%. So all right, oh, man. Another good another good podcast, Josh. Thanks again to the <laughs> listeners out there for listening to us, and and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Top the Pit Box podcast. See ya. It's no days off. Take no breaks. You in my lane. You in my way.